Hello, my name is Peter Barron, and on behalf of the Salus Radio and FreakyTrigger.co.uk, I'd like to welcome you to the Lost Property Office, the halfway house of the discarded, where below pencil cases, scarves and umbrellas end up, to discover quite how beloved they were. Some get reunited in minutes, like a small child lost in the supermarket. Others fester, grow mould and occasionally, yes you, mini-disc player, I'm looking at you, become relics of a forgotten age. But before they are donated to the Museum of Obsolescence, they turn up here on this podcast. Everyone's a little bit of a loser, be it a fiver in the pub or a grand down the back of a telly, I'm looking at you Mike Skinner, we all lose stuff. And we've all been lost. Well here in the Lost Property Office I'll be guiding your guests through the items they've lost and hoping to distract them with some new items. Because this is not just a fake radio Lost Property Office, it's also a real one. Here on the ground floor of SOAS I look after a university Lost Property Office full of books, coats and incomprehensible notes. And some more bizarre items lost too. I've invited my guest over a rummage and see what she can find. So who knows what right for the rightful owner may be listening now can come and pick it up. So let's meet today's intrepid lost propertyer. Let's say welcome to Pamela Hutchinson of Silent London to the Lost Property Office. Hello, Pete. Um, so you've been downstairs. What did you think of the office? Oh, well, it was very grand. Well, no, it wasn't a very grand office. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is an office full of... Full of junk. Yes, and many of the awesome items which are lost are actually broken. And yeah. just sort of sit there. And it is quite sad and, and mournful in ways. Yeah, I've chosen something that made me quite sad. Okay, well, we'll we'll, we'll come to that. Actually, let's let's have a little teaser of okay. um, your items. Can we can we hear it? This, it sounds sad. That does sound quite sad. <laughs> oh, well, that's. Um, oh, we will come to that. It is, it is actually cheering me up from over here, but it is. I I, I know why you think you it's sad. You're a heartless brute. And um, can you give me the first line on the back bit of the book you've got as well on, on the blurb? First line okay. on the blurb. How does Maureen Lippman use brown paper to avoid jet lag? <laughs> to be fair, that sounds a lot more exciting than the front of the book looks. So um, hopefully we'll find that out. So you might need to look that up during, yeah. the, during, the, during the show. So basically what I'm going to be doing is taking you through some of the items you've lost in your life, as well as these other items. And then there's a big esoteric question at the end. But let's start then. Um, what's the item of, let's say, greatest personal or monetary value? Maybe the two mm-hmm. questions separately that you've ever lost. Well, the most expensive thing I've ever lost is a diamond, definitely. That uh, is quite expensive. That is quite expensive. But the, the thing that I lost that was almost as valuable, but actually I, I turned out to be quite happy about it, was losing my wallet. I was quite pleased when I lost my wallet. Right, OK. Well, I want to go back to the diamonds. <laughs> There's not much to say about the diamond. I was at a Bell and Sebastian gig, the Astoria in London, the now lost Astoria Yes, in indeed, London. yeah, it's lost, yeah. lost the time. And uh, when I came out at the gig, uh, we uh, went for curry with some friends and I looked down at my hand and I realised that the diamond had jumped out of my engagement ring. Jumped? Well, you know, that's what they call it when it comes out of its setting. Oh, I see. So uh, it's not that I, I witnessed it jump, that would be quite a moment, um, but there was, it had... Also, very... you would have been able to find it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would have jumped onto the table. But uh, yeah, so there's just a little hole in my uh, engagement ring and uh, yeah, the... I did call the Astoria the next morning and said, mm. have you found, found a very small diamond? <laughs> if only to give them a giggle. Yes, I'm sure they, 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 they Were they straight-faced or were they... Uh... They said, you know, we would have remembered if the cleaner had found one. <laughs> yeah, I think the cleaner would have remembered as well and maybe not handed it in. But yeah. um, So do you think it happened? Do you think maybe it's, it's something that Bell and Sebastian do, that Stuart Murdoch sets up his songs to be... Quiet starting, then jaunty near the end, just to loosen your ring. I think maybe there's something in the vibrations of his voice that unsettle stones from their settings. Well, that, that's yes, that sounds sounds possible to me. So that's that's the diamond, and that's. I mean, do you think it's possibly? And I'm I'm not saying this in any way to uh, um, have a go at your affianced at the time. Um, mm. I'm guessing who that is, anyway. Um, 
Do you think that it was shoddy workmanship? You know, I don't know. I, I In a way, I'd like to think so, because I don't want the diamonds from my wedding ring to ever jump out. Um, and I know they are made by a close personal friend, but uh, not the diamonds, the ring, obviously. But, you well, know, in some ways, the earth is a close personal <laughs> friend. You know, it has the pressure. It's... I, I, I'm just assuming that it was bad luck. Right. Okay, that's it. So that that's the diamond, but this this wallet that you were happy to lose. Well, at the time, I was a little bit, um, yeah, there was a little bit of wailing. I was seventeen, and I think anything is a trauma when you're seventeen. Mm. But it was my last night out with my friends before my family moved to London. So right. I was. Out How far on, was this move? Uh, well, from the Midlands. So okay. it was my last night out in Kidderminster, which would make a lot of people sad. And uh, that's a great name for an album, by the way. <laughs> last night out in Kidderminster. Yeah, yeah things I lost in Kidderminster. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, and I was in a nightclub and possibly some terrible person half inched it. But most likely it fell out of my pocket when I was dancing badly, right. I would say. Um, and so, you know, that night I went home and I cancelled my bank cards. And, and, you know, that was quite distressing. But then I realised, you know, it was quite nice to move to London with a fresh start. No, no old library cards, no old mm. membership to, you know, clubs that I'd been in when I was a kid. What, would the, what would the Kidderminster, Kidderminster clubs be? I don't know. I'm sure I had, I'm sure I had things like... Um, uh, cards for school projects and right. um, the local library, the Worcestershire Library Services, definitely that kind of thing. And, you know, probably, uh, well, I had to get a new national insurance card and all that kind of boring thing. But it was quite nice to start with a fresh start. And yeah. so I didn't have all this out-of-date, out-of-region stuff cluttering up my life. Can you describe the wallet? It was purple and green. Uh, nylon. Uh, nylon, nice. Yes. And the wallet you replaced it with? Oh, I can't remember. I, that was probably a bit of a treat. I probably bought it up London, didn't I? Yeah, I guess yeah. you did, yeah. <laughs> maybe in Camden. <laughs> something, to, something to slip a travel card into, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah. feeling pretty fancy that about sounds, that. That sounds pretty good to me. Now, I, I know what you mean. Sometimes um, losing items can be cathartic, you know, mm. they're, they're, and particularly if they're items which are associated with, if not bad times in your life, just a period which is over. So, mm-hmm. you know, I... I like that story. It's nice. I, it makes me makes me feel good about losing stuff, which is what we're here for. Because sometimes letting go of things is as important as finding things again. If you so. love someone, you know, losing. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, um, I'm thinking we're going to jump onto our first bit of music now. So uh, you've been downstairs. As I say, it's very unusual, or it seems weird that people lose music. But it's a student union. People lose music. There is a a very large CD wallet that's been lost down there. There's also MP3 players and stuff like that, which. Um, but you've chosen again a CD from the. I've chosen a CD. I couldn't resist because it was it was more or less topical. Okay. We've just celebrated St Patrick's Day, obviously, yes. and I'm sure we all celebrated very hard. Uh, and so the CD I've chosen has written on it, Carolan's harp, music from Ireland, and then a little note to say that it's Gaelic. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. We've, well, we've we've already had music from the birth of uh, dawn of humanity, or at least 1924, on this show before. So. <laughs> More, um, more music from a different country. Um, which track would you like to hear? I think it's got to be track six. Track six, okay, got to be. Must be. I mean, obviously, if it doesn't have a track six, if it was one big mix CD. Um, okay, this is six minutes and forty-eight minutes long, so <laughs> it may be that we will talk over it a little bit. But let's give it a little bit on its um, uh, on its go. So this is track six from Carolyn's Harp. Um, no, it's not. To be told where good clarets in store Attend to the call of one who's never frighted But greatly delighted with six I'm sorry, this, this doesn't sound very Gaelic, does it? I'm no linguist <laughs> No, well it's very jolly it Seems more, um... 
Renaissance era? I think there's a harpsichord involved. Oh, maybe it's Carolyn's harpsichord. Oh, we all call harpsichords harp for short, don't we? It's very hard to write it on a... Uh, on a let's give it a couple of minutes so it's on its own. Lasses that oft prove as cruel as fair, who whimper and whine for lilies and roses with eyes, lips, and noses, or tip of an ear. Come hither, I'll show ye how Phyllis and Chloe no more shall occasion such sighs and such groans. For what mortal so stupid as not to quit Cupid when called by good Claret and Bumpus Quido? Okay, we, we just we just gave that a minute. I think we'll, we'll drop it down a bit there. Now, Pam, you, you've you've um, got a bit of the Irish in you. A, a, a tiny little bit, yeah. My middle um, side, yeah. Does this sound Irish to you? Well, I would say that's definitely not Gaelic. And, yes. um, and, and this is proving to me that Gaelic is definitely on its way to becoming a lost language. <laughs> um, I mean, if I, if I bought a CD, um, let's say I went to Dublin and bought a CD that said Irish music on it and in Gaelic and Carolyn's harp and this came out, I would think maybe there was some kind of conspiracy yeah. Some yeah. kind of, um, look, actually, the Irish are really British going on, which. <laughs> Some seems, kind of colonial conspiracy. It does seem like a, back, a, a, a backwards colonial conspiracy in, in time for this um, yeah. courtly music. I mean, it's, it's courtly love music, yeah. isn't it? It's, I mean, it's possible that the lyrics are some kind of folk poem or something like that, mm. but the way they're set is not. Not Gaelic. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we'll let that we'll let that drift underneath us for a bit and let's um, talk about um, a time when you've actually been physically lost. Okay. Well, yeah. This is this is a bit more distressing. This is um, my mum described it as the worst hour of her life. When I spoke to her about it this morning. Um, uh, three years old, mm-hmm. in the buggy, left outside a shop, probably sleeping, I think, and then. With three-year-old logic, uh, woke up. Where's my mum? Mm. I'll go and have a look for her. Of course, which, you're big enough and old enough now. You've yeah. I mean, I can totally walk. Um, it, it wasn't the best plan that I ever had. I was wandering around Birkenhead Shopping Centre, which, no disrespect to my hometown, is perhaps not the best place to be wandering about. Can, um, you, can you describe Birkenhead Shopping Centre? Is it a high street or is it is it a off, off high streets, mini mall type affair. This particular part of it is kind of like a concrete precinct kind of thing, and it's more like a, almost like an indoor market, right. but a bit more, yeah, a bit more precinct. I know the type. It's not, it's not glamorous. There's a lot of people rushing around. It's a bit scruffy. It felt, you know, like it was always raining. Um, and yeah, my mum was frantic. I and mean, luckily, a sweet old lady found wandering little three year old and held my hand and asked me questions like. Do you belong in that buggy over there? <laughs> I think that's mine. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, luckily, I, you know, didn't end up in a home. <laughs> no, no. Um, or on the streets. <laughs> do you think it was actually an hour? Well, you know, I have checked this with the relevant authorities, i.e., my mum, this morning, and mm. she said an hour. Right. Although perhaps you know the whole experience was an hour. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that obviously trauma of losing things often stretches time or sleeves stuff in. So I mean, it's it may have only been like ten minutes. Yeah, um, it would have been... For a child, though, of course, in that point of time, it would have been a significant period of your life (laughs) at the age of three. So, um, yeah, it is odd. I mean, I I have the whole um, 
wandering around the supermarket thing. You know, and as I mentioned in the in the intro, you know, when you were lost in the supermarket, you were all always reunited within minutes because worst comes to worst, they get on the tannoy and go, as some as some uh, terrible mother lost their child. We are calling social services. You get here first. We won't mention it. But yeah, the problem is when you get lost in supermarkets that you can no longer shop properly. Yeah, and that that is the worst thing. Yeah, <laughs> happily. <laughs> Happily, I think the word uh, is. If you're going to decode uh, the clash, happily. Oh. Not that I'm, I'm proud to know that, but nevertheless, it's true. Um, the, <laughs> the these days, of course, um, she would probably be in significant trouble for doing that. No, well, I just think that no one would do that now. Yeah, she left, um, so she left you actually outside the shop. I mean, I don't think you could fit the buggy in the shop. It's right. just a thing that people do, and you know, you trust people, and you don't expect your child to launch herself out of the buggy. It's all with, my fault. It's I mean, at fault. least with um, with dogs, when you leave them outside the shop, you know, you tie them to a bin or something. <laughs> she she didn't think you're doing that, tying you to a bin, or yeah. she's a good woman, my mother. She never tied me to a bin. No choke chain for you. No, not in the slightest. <laughs> Well, um, I have met your mother, and she's a lovely woman, and I'm sure she didn't do it in any way to try and get rid of you. No. Um, I mean, she has another child, and so you know she may have been playing favourites at the time. But never no, in a spare. Yeah, exactly. Always have a spare. But um, so <laughs> when you were lost, so then or some other time, um, actually, then you probably you found this woman. But is there anything big you found in your time? I found something amazing. It was a diamond, no. No, it was a diamond. People be losing diamonds all over the place. (laughs) I found something better than a diamond. I found a cousin. You found a cousin? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a kind of fan for me, but a very nice woman that I worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, Always got on well with her, worked the odd shift. You know, we weren't weren't full-time colleagues, but, you know. Uh, She came up to me one day and said, you know, I've got something to say to you. Um, You're my second cousin. Good Lord. Good Lord, indeed. That's what I said. Uh, so her mother had been trying to research the family tree. Right. And her mother had a cousin, mm-hmm. who's also my auntie, that's how it works. Who, I think that's, that's how, yeah. This who's, is. He's a historian, does a bit of genealogy, so she rang her up to ask her about, you know, family tree and generations back, and then they did a little bit of catch-up on where people are, and, you know, she said, and of course, and Pamela is working at a certain organisation, which is where... Brenda's daughter was working as well, and yeah, so uh, I, I discovered a cousin. She had husband, two kids. She had another kid, so a whole family, really. That's pretty impressive. Mm. That's, and and you still in touch now, mm. and so on. Absolutely, then they live quite near my parents, actually. <laughs> yeah. Again, that can happen, I guess, geographically. <laughs> so was it just lost, or was it just because it was? I mean, is it bits of the family that talked to each other, didn't talk to each other for yeah. a bit, or? Yeah, there was a bit of There's that. History. There's history, but it's nothing to do with myself no. and my cousin. It's no. generations back. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that is quite impressive, actually. That's. I. I mean, I'm kind of expecting people to say fivers, but so far it's been so far it's been like dogs and family members and things like that, which which are all quite nice things to find, really. Yeah. If my cousin got a dog, then you know I would be winning, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it, 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 I think so far on the things we've had, this is only the third show, but I think a cousin. A second cousin. A second cousin. Yeah, not worth quite as much in the in the in the scheme of things. She's ever so nice. A nice cousin oh, is nice. worth a lot. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll, I will give you that. Okay, so um, downstairs, uh, mm-hmm. you had a little rummage. Um, I'm interested in um, let's let's look at the uh, at your object. My um, object. Yeah, we'll so hear it again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There will be a photo of this on on the website on freaktrigger.co.uk, so you will be able to see it. Um, but yes, what what have you got there? Well, in all other contexts, this is something that made me very happy. It's a little uh, wooden pull-along toy. It's a horse 
with wheels, obviously, so it pulls along. It's got a little felt mane, and it's painted all quite jolly colours. I, I wouldn't say that was a mane. I would say it was more of a Mohican. Yeah, so it's like a punk horse. A punk horse. This is great. Uh, I'm happy. It's got a blue saddle, green wheels, and a big smile. So it's very happy. But the thing is that, you know, some child has lost this, and that is very sad. It is. It is. And it's been lost in a student union as well, which is even sadder in some ways. Well, I mean, uh, I think it's great that mature students with kids are going back to school. Or oh, yeah. perhaps that child prodigies are coming to the School of Oriental African Studies. We don't have anyone that young um, <laughs> that I know of. Um, but yeah, it is, it is uh, I mean, handmade. I mean, I don't know if it's handmade. But Anything it's like, on, on the underside? Of, there's if, there's if you're no a, made in China about yeah. this. This is some kind, this is quite nicely, it, it, you know, it's been put together by hand, whether it's been shaped by hand, I don't know. But If you were doing an antiques roadshow thing here, <laughs> would, you, uh, would you be suggesting that it comes from a particular period? <laughs> The nineties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that might be generous. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not in particularly bad condition. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that the child that owned this loved it to put a lot of stock in it, but you know, there's going to be at least a few minutes of wailing. Where's my where's pull my along horse? Green wheeled Mohican punk horse. I mean, do you think you can tell how old the child is by the length of the string? Ooh, well, I would have said I could tell how old the child is maybe by the, um, by the, <laughs> by the object it's just, it's just how, how long would you say that piece of string is? It's about six inches. About six inches. So if someone's pulling it along, you need that, you'd want that to be at a, a maximum of 45 degree angle to get any real proper traction as you're pulling it. Because once you're higher than that, it doesn't go yet. It goes flat. You know, I think this is for a, a wee little r- baby r- on the floor. Yeah, yeah, so a, a baby on the floor or a, a toddler toddling. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't do much, does it? Three months and up, I'd say. Oh, three um, months is a bit young for that, um, but but yes, yeah, so I would say maybe maybe one one and a half. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Well, I think I think it's in the end pulling along is something you want to do when you're you, you can't pull along and crawl. <laughs> your hands are already busy with the crawling. No, but your your mother can pull this in front of you and charm you. Yes, I mean, bear in mind all this color. child psychology is coming from two people who do not have children, that so is therefore. True. Therefore, yeah. we know more about people than children than people with children. As, as <laughs> it's true. It's true because once you have children, you you forget everything you knew when you knew everything about children. So I can go around and I'm I'm completely justified in going around my friend's house with children and criticising every aspect um, because I do not have children. The moment I have children, I forget that. So um, I, I, can't I won't be able to say. Possibly agree. I can't possibly agree. <laughs> you're, probably, you're probably right not to. I get all sorts of. All sorts of trouble. Well, do you think it's a British toy? Do you think it's a market stall? Do you think it's from a shop? Market stall or like an early learning centre type thing? It know? has it has got a smell of early learning centre about it. It's um, nice. I mean, I'm now I'm looking at it head on. I see that the horse's head is at a slightly skew if angle, which is actually quite adorable. Um, so it's maybe not manufactured to the highest standards, but that's what's so great about it. What do you think it's done as effect? Is it is it a middle class toy for? I mean, it is it is weird because in this in this day of a day and age of um, electronic toys and so much electronic mm-hmm. toys that um, a nice little wooden toy like that. Do you think it's a, a bit it's middle prized. class? Well, it, it's definitely prized, isn't it? You know. Yeah. The... Do you think someone's given it to him and say you should be playing with toys like this rather than? Things that need batteries. Batteries are expensive. <laughs> but nothing needs batteries these days. They all run off. Everything needs batteries. No, everything needs batteries. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, in, I say we, neither of us have children, but you've, you've, you have friends with children. Yes. Um, have you noticed that um, young, very young children's toys, the ones that make noises, still seem to be really tinny and like from the 90s, whereas you, know, you can do so much polyphonic music and record an entire album on a tiny chip, and yet they still seem to bleep. I think this is probably why um, kids play with their parents' smartphones. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably, probably right. why. I think you can get like special cases for them now so that they can play with them safely. Yeah. 
So the, the other thing kids are good at, and this is this is this is me my me attempt to do a link here, is learning languages when they're young. Ah. And I think we may be able to help them here now. We're going to try and play another track from your CD. The last track, of course, we learned Gaelic very quickly. Yes. Because we, we understood natural. everything. It said, um, Shall we try another number on this? What, mm. what are you looking for? Uh, well, it's... It went up to 25 or oh, so. Oh, so. well, it has to be 17. has to be 17. Oh, yes, indeed. The, when you when you move from Kidderminster to the big smoke. <laughs> okay, let's see this. Let's. This is only 2 minutes 20, so uh, I think Gaelic is a more compact language, perhaps. It, it, they may get something in on this one. Let's give this one a go. This does sound like a harp. Mm. May not be any talking at all on it. We're not. We're not getting the St Patrick's Day that I remember from <laughs> a, a few days ago. You know, the, uh, I do not feel drunk right now. <laughs> it is half eleven in the morning, though. Oh yeah, there is that. <laughs> it's beautiful, though. It is. Do you, do you play the harp? No, no. Do you I play don't. the called? <laughs> no. The not juice as, harp? <laughs> not as well as Carolyn. She's missing out the big bit of the harp there, which is the big strum. Oh, she's building up to it. Yes. It's very atmospheric. It is. I'm seeing the, you know, the waves lapping over Giant's Causeway. I've never been to Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were going to go for Green Hills, because Giant's Causeway is quite granite. Or are you just trying to avoid cliché? Always By avoid reaching cliche. for the other cliché. Well, that was uh, track 17 from Carolyn's Harp and did indeed feature a harp this time, which is good. Uh, still no Gaelic. Uh, we'll be hunting down the Gaelic later. Um, <laughs> the Gaelic but, yeah. hunt. I mean, these, these CDs uh, are all are mixed CDs generally and uh, have, have people's handwriting on it. And so we cannot hold them to the accuracy of, of uh, a Sharpie on the, on the signs of a, a verbatim CDR. So. No, well, it, it's been a crushing disappointment so far. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but then that's, that's again, a part of losing stuff. It is disappointing when you... Losing our expectations. Lose, lose, yeah, is there anything physical you're worrying about losing? Right now? Yeah. Um, well, I had to chuck my coffee out before I came in here, so uh, I've lost all that caffeine that okay, I bought. Yeah. That is quite sad. OK, so let's, get, let's move on to your book then. Um, which you found downstairs. Uh, there are plenty of books down there. There actually is a larger store of books which I could have taken you to, but um, I'm clearly trying to guide you to the interesting-looking <laughs> ones. Well, so what have you got here? I've got a book which uh, appealed to me straight away because it, it tells you straight out that it's lightweight. Ah, uh, that's nice. It's called Around the World in 80 Ways, A Lightweight Guide to Travel by the Famous. Oh, so famous. It's, it's celeb travel tales. So, well, and celeb travel tips. OK. Um, although their definition of celebrity... 
does stretch well from Maureen Lippman, mm-hmm. who's, okay. who's famous, to, to Enoch Powell, uh, who is an alumnus of SOAS, <laughs> of course, of course, and so I wouldn't possibly and and Karen Dixon through Day Eventer. Oh really? Yeah. Um, uh, we're not particularly proud of Enoch Powell as an alumnus. Okay, at SOAS. That's Oddly, you might you might imagine he he holidays mostly in France. And, really? You, and you think he'd go that far? He he says so, and he uh, will take a volume of Balzac or Zola. Ah yes, and I'm assuming he's avoiding the Ban Louise. <laughs> their uh, their uh, what's French for river? Damn it! I was so close to <laughs> to my uh, French rivers of blood speech, but um, <laughs> that's not. A so what is where, so more? Do we have you discovered more in Lippmann's? I haven't um, quite. I haven't quite. I've, I've learnt that the Baroness Chalker of Wallasey, her greatest travel experience was uh, seeing Mount Everest at eight thousand feet. Baroness Chalker is that Linda Chalker? Mm. I wonder. Um, yeah. This now, this you, you're saying that the yeah that we had that three day event. Um, these seem to be celebrities of a time. Yes. Can you describe the book physically? The book it's got a little a pencil illustration on the front of a chap in safari gear with lots of lots of items that he's taken, including a snowshoe, some whiskey, and a, a paint palette. Does the publisher still exist? It, Oh, it's a Wexus publication. <laughs> so I'm, guessing, I'm guessing they're now part of Macmillan or uh, Palgrave or Basically. Harper Collins. Yeah, it's it's uh, copyright 1993. That's since that's later than I would have guessed. Actually, Ooh. I would have said mid 80s, but yes. Yeah, I was feeling the 80s vibe. I'm all. It's not. It's Jill not. Dando's in here. Oh. I'm sad now. Yeah, moments again. <laughs> I, I, I think, do you mind if I christen the pull-along horse, Jill Dando? Oh, um, let's do that in memory. I can. We, I could always drop her off to the uh, the Jill Dando Institute of uh, Criminology, which is just up the road at UCL. Oh, excellent! Well, so. <laughs> a donation gladly received. I'm sure. I'm sure, but yeah, they could see it as evidence for something mm. or other. It's you know forensics. Um, I'm assuming it hasn't. It isn't well indexed. This book then. No, it it gives you by celebrity, but not necessarily by their tip. So let me see if I can quickly find. Yeah. Maureen Lippmann's Brown Paper Cure for Jet Lag. It's not. It's not a very big book as well. It's only. It's. It is. It's only about hundred pages. It's truly lightweight. It's in, truly lightweight. Uh, it's perfect reading on the flight if it's a short flight. I've got it. Okay, here we go. Okay, the only travel chip I can pass on to you, says Maureen Lippmann, was given to me by Bobby Charlton and Henry Cooper. Good lord! And that is to put brown wrapping paper cut in the shape of an inner sole inside your socks when travelling long distances. This avoids jet lag. Brown paper. Yeah, in yeah. your socks. Now, I'm going to China later this year, so I may actually try this. Uh, you should do. And feed this back to, to the masses. Um, I'm not... I was assuming that's something to do with uh, sweat. I don't know. I, I, I think it might be nonsense. I think Henry Cooper and Bobby Charlton were kidding her on. I'm looking forward... To, I'm trying to think of that evening when Henry Cooper, Bobby Charlton and Maureen Lippmann were all out on the lash together, you know, down, down the pub. I'm, I'm guessing the East End. Oh, no, North London, surely. Well, Bobby Charlton is... Oh, no, yeah, Bobby, sorry, I'm thinking Bobby Moore, aren't I? Um, yeah, so yeah, geographically skew around where Maureen and, and Jack lived yeah. in Highgate. And mm. uh, any any other tips sleeping out here? Um, well, I mean, uh, Len Dayton, thriller oh, yeah. writer, the thriller writer, now, thriller writer, thriller writer, and um, and um, recipe book writer as well. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I would the have action thought... cookbook is a great book of his from the sixties. I would have thought that he would be all up for adventure, but he says his best travel tip is don't <sighs> stay at home. So I think he knocked that one out quite quickly. Stay at home. Yeah. Mm. And um, Liz McColgan, Olympic long-distance runner, what does she always pack? Uh, well, she's an Olympic long-distance runner, so I'm getting spikes. No. 
a packet of porridge and a bunch of bananas. She's Scottish. <laughs> and also that's very good fuel for running, isn't it? You know, yeah. Very good food. Like slow release energy. It is. She's it is. always on duty. All right, but the thing I usually do when, when someone's got a book is I ask them to turn to a particular page. And uh, so I'm going to go for page 27. Page 27. So I'm not convinced there are that many more pages. Oh, actually, this is not, this is not a celebrity tip. Oh. This is a quote from The Art of Travel by Francis Galton, 1872. Okay. Um, I'll just read you the first tip. Good interpreters are very important. Men who would have been used by their chiefs, missionaries, etc. as interpreters are much to be preferred. I, I think that's probably true. Um we don't we don't really use interpreters anymore. We have phrase books. Yeah, I mean, you know, say... they they do in the UN. They use interpreters, and rich people have interpreters. Um, those of us who are, who are trying to bubble along in in Porto for two hundred fifty quid or whatever, yeah. just kind of talk English at people and they yeah. learnt it, which well, I feel quite bad about actually. Mm. Uh, do you speak any languages? I speak a little bit of French. Smattering, I think, is the phrase. Oh. <laughs> I dabble. I dabble in languages. <laughs> <Un> petit peu. <laughs> That's the only French I speak, is uh, un petit peu. Well, you know, it's one of those things, definitely, it's a thing that was lost because I studied French to A-level and then I left the exam hall and thought I never had to do anything that difficult again and, and, and now it keeps coming up in my daily life that I need to really? have my languages. Do you, have, do you ever have that thing when um, you go to a foreign country and you're with someone or you are a person who's got turned out the highest level of, of speaking, so therefore everything defers to you. You have mm. to speak in French. So. Uh, I've had that in France a few times, and you know, if there's a complaint that has to be made, it's or, down to you. Or I'm um, taking my husband's grandmother abroad for the first time. Uh, we took her uh, to Calais, and uh, she doesn't speak French because she's never had any calls to because she'd no. never been abroad. And, no. and we went into a shop, and I ordered a loaf of bread, and I turned around. She was looking agog. I bet. I bet she was very impressed. It was how to impress one really easily. <laughs> uh, I, th- I don't think if I did it again, she'd be like, oh, yeah, I know you can do that. <laughs> it doesn't put you off going to going to France, because I know someone who, who actually actually physically puts her off going to the two countries where she can speak the language, because she feels that she'll have to do all the speaking. Oh, no, no, no. I, I like making it up, wandering around, <laughs> one glass of wine and suddenly you're fluent. Yes, you know? no, that, that, that's true. OK, um, so now I think it's time to move to uh, the big esoteric question of the show, the um, the part where I ask you... The, the problem with this question as well, I've, I've found no good way of asking it yet. <laughs> I'm trying again, I've got a new phrasing this week. So what Pamela Hutchinson of Silent London, I will actually, I should, I should explain in a minute what Silent London is, has been lost to humanity that if it were found would make the world a better place. Well, I could say lots of things, Pete. Yes. I, you know, I'm sorely tempted to say good manners, but I'm probably not a very good model for that. I would say, um, no surprise to you, uh, I would say a lot of films have been lost to humanity, it's particularly true. silent films. 80% is the figure that gets bandied around. That's a lot of films. It's an approximation. 80% of all films that were made in the silent era, I mean, it's it's higher, I think, if you go to Japan, say, it's, mm. it's lower elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's an awful lot of movies. And it's it's really hard if you're someone who studies or is interested in it, just the knowledge that you can't get hold of so much of it. I know, but um, that is distressing, but... It's also quite uh, happy to know that lots of things are being found. Yes. I mean, because a lot of them, they're lost because we haven't got them properly archived. They are, right. they are physically somewhere in a private collection. Waiting or in to archive. explode. Well, you know, just, yeah, obviously nitrate is quite flammable, but 
it doesn't always happen. I mean, just recently they found the Dickens film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it's now the earliest surviving Dickens film because previously we had one from November nineteen oh one. This one's from March nineteen oh one. That's that it's, nine months, eight months <laughs> makes a big difference. We've moved the goalposts, but there have been quite significant finds. Like the the color version of A Trip to the Moon by Georges yeah. Méliès, which you know Martin Scorsese more or less made a film about. Those last reels of Metropolis. I mean, I still I still think we're missing ten minutes or so of yeah. Metropolis. Still but, doesn't make any sense. Oh, it still made it. Made <laughs> It makes a lot more sense than it used to. But it still doesn't make much sense. But then I don't think it made much sense. I've seen a trip to the moon after a frown one, and that doesn't make that much sense in places. So Yeah, that's more a series of tableau than a story. Yes, it is true. It is, you know, quite old. <laughs> I mean, I, one of the things about that, I mean, your, your, one of your particular areas of interest is uh, very early silent movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, if it's after 1910, frankly, you're not interested. That's not true, but... <laughs> But there is a... You've maligned um, me. Yes, I have. But you, you, you do like particularly early silence when you can, which I'm assuming are the ones which are most lost in some ways. I don't know. I mean, in a way, it's it's hard to even get a handle on what we've got or what has been lost. I mean, mm. that's the kind of thing where people are just filming over things. I mean, people always talk about that great British hit, you know, uh, Rescued by Rover, that was so successful that they had to reshoot it twice. Right. You know, because the negatives wore out. <laughs> you know, this was not this was not an industry that's set up for archiving and labelling no. things. No. We enjoy what we have. <laughs> indeed, indeed. The um, do you think that there are certain, you know what what are the greatest lost ones, or what would if you could see if you know once something you know that you that so far at the moment has not been found and doesn't exist. If you could see that, I'd be happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're, you're happier. <laughs> happier. We're already happy. The whole world would be happier if we found uh, Murnau's Four Devils. Right. Uh, for example, which is uh, Murnau was a German film director. He made some beautiful films in Germany, very famous films like Nosferatu. Your favourite um, film, Sunrise. And he, then he went to America and he made my favourite film, Sunrise. Thanks. Friedrich, I appreciate it. And then he made City Girl, which is also wonderful, and then he made Four Devils. Um, and we can only imagine that it's a great film. We have lots of information about it, but um, it's not lost. Not it's bad. lost. And this is this is Myrna, not 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 Gernau. Um... <laughs> Some people find these German names quite difficult to pronounce, but it's Murnau. Yeah, um, Hugh Grant, I believe, finds it difficult to pronounce uh, uh, Murnau. And um, he's trained at pronouncing things properly. <laughs> you would have thought, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's a wag. So yeah. So um, as I mentioned, you 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 run a, a blog, um, Silent London, mm-hmm. which is a listings blog and uh, amongst other things uh, for silent screenings in London. Yes, because uh, you know these films that we have, people are showing them and people are going to watch them, and it's brilliant. So, for example, um, what are there any films on tonight? Silent films on tonight. As far as I'm aware, there's a package on it, the BFI, the BFI South Bank. It's a package, it includes a great film called South, which is a documentary, a silent documentary about Ernest Shackleton's voyage to the Antarctic. And uh, it's it's screening with a lot of other actualities and films surrounding his uh, trips to the South Pole. So yeah, you can basically see silent films pretty much every day this month, for example. There's at least mm, yeah. one silent film. On. March is really good. And next month we've got, you know, the British Silent Film Festival in Cambridge. So, yeah. you know. So anyway, if, yeah, if, you, if, you, if you are interested in silent films, uh, listen to this, um, go on to silentlondon.co.uk. Absolutely. Um, and, and keep an eye out for that because there's some terrific stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, right, I think we're going to see uh, one more time if uh, the Gaelic language exists on this CD. Um, <laughs> Please, Ireland. <laughs> we can do this. We we can do this. Um, right, so can you give me a track number? It's partially your fault for your track speaking, obviously. Okay, well, well, let's just go for track one then. Okay, let's try track one. Let's see um, 
if really they can they might have front loaded this with something so thank you very much for coming along Pam um, it's been great to have you um, I hope you've enjoyed it um, on behalf of Freak Trigger and Silent London and indeed Silas Radio on behalf of Silent London as well why not join the team yes indeed um, thank you for coming and this has been Lost Property Office and hopefully this is only one minute 18 seconds long and I'm hoping we go Gaelic 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 Okay, I think we know where this one's going. Um, I think we, I think this one's going to be another bit of heart. Um, we're going to try one more track. Okay. I'm going to give me another number. Uh, what did you say it went up to? Uh, 25 or so. Let's go for 24. Okay, 24. Because as much as we like Carolyn's harp, um, it's samey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so again, on behalf of... So much radio and freakytrick.co.uk. You've been Pamela Hutchison on Lost Prophecy Office. Um, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>